you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. And if you didn't bring a Bible, but you want one, our ushers have some that you can use today. They have some that you can have today. So if you'd like a Bible, we're going to read 20 verses of Matthew chapter 28. And you're like me and you'd like to have a paper copy in your hand. Just wave at one of the ushers. We've given away 700 Bibles since our church began just like this. So if you need one today and you don't know where yours is, just put your name in this one and keep it. It's yours to keep and go home and start to, and start reading about Jesus in Matthew chapter one, because we're calling 2014 at journey the year of Jesus. We started the very first Sunday of January this year, and we said it's going to be our goal this year to get to know Jesus a little better, who he was, what he said, what he did, what he stood for, because if we want to be followers of Jesus, we should probably know who he is. And we started this year with the mission of Jesus. We took 10 weeks with the Sermon on the Mount, and we said, here's what Jesus said he came to do. And then during Easter, we looked at the ministry of Jesus behind the veil, and we said, Jesus is literally created a path for us to have a relationship with the God of the universe. If we want it, we have access to God, but that will always come with action from God. And then after Easter, we looked at what we call practical Jesus. Like, what does Jesus say about the everyday areas of our life and how we should live? And then we took the summer to study the life of David, the guy who killed Goliath. And it was an awesome summer. But today we get back into the school year and we get back into the life of Jesus. And we're going to pick up Jesus' life story chronologically because When we left Jesus from Christmas to his baptism, to his teaching, to his crucifixion, to his resurrection, we kind of left Jesus standing right outside the tomb in April. Um, And if we were to pick up the last little bit of his life, we have to read the rest of it in Matthew chapter 28. So we'll start in verse 1 today, and we'll read 28 verses, and we are picking up from Easter Sunday and reading through the last few days of Jesus. And here's what the Bible says, after the Sabbath... The Sabbath is Saturday, for those of you who are new to church. Um, On dawn of the first day of the week, the first day of the week in the Jewish calendar is Sunday. It's why we worship on Sunday, because the Bible says Jesus rose again on Sunday. So after Saturday, at the dawn of Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. They basically passed out. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him now. I've told you. Verse eight. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee there. They'll see me. Verse 11, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. Now, when the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. And they told them, you're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end 
of the age. Now, this point in history marks an important point in history. Because at this point in history, there are 11 people who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, who are still doing what Jesus says. And literally, he leaves these 11 to start his church. And 2,000 years later, that church globally, according to the last Pew Research, has nearly 2.2 billion people in it. How do 11 people, without even having Jesus physically present with them, how do 11 people over the course of 2,000 years turn into 2.18 billion people? Well, they just did what Jesus told them to do. And what Jesus told them to do is he basically said, my plan for you is that people have to tell people what has happened. And if people are willing to tell people what has happened, then more people can be impacted, more people can be changed, more people can be set on mission to make a difference. But my plan is that people have to tell people. We're starting a series at our church. If you look at the front of your bulletin, and if you haven't already, turn to the back of your bulletin and rip off the sermon notes so you can follow along today. But we're starting a series today called Domino. In the thought of this series, Domino, our kind of our subtitle of the series is Fall into One. The thought of Jesus' plan for humanity, hearing about and being impacted by Jesus was literally that people would fall into people just one at a time. And I don't know if you've ever seen like those, those like domino competitions where they have thousands of dominoes set up and all different kinds of shapes and object type stuff. And they flick one and one falls and then thousands fall. This was Jesus' plan. One person, one domino in the plan of God if they will just make sure and fall into one person, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and the impact that God wants to have in your life, if people will impact people, this will happen. When you look at the people of our church, if you were to ask me, Christian, so we're, we're going to turn three as a church on September 21, we'll celebrate our, our three-year anniversary. So three weeks from today, we'll be three years old. If someone were to say, Christian, how, how would you summarize your church going from 15 people meeting in your living room to over 500 coming on Sundays, how'd you do that? I would say people told people. If you were to say, Christian, how, how did Journey go from a church that literally only had one or two people giving to it to a church that over the course of three years has given away more than $270,000 to missions? What was the secret behind that is, is I would say people fell into people. If you were to say, Christian, what, what's the future projection of our church? How do you think our church is going to build a building? And what do you think is going to happen when our church gets into a building? And how are we going to have more influence and impact on our community? I would say people have to fall into people. The only way our church has gotten to this point, and the only way our church will keep moving forward, is if every person takes ownership of impacting people in their life, like dominoes one at a time, if we'll just keep falling into the people God has placed around us, God's kingdom will expand. Now, it's going to take six weeks to cover this in detail. I mean, it's going to take six messages to kind of really unpack biblically the direction and then the real practical instruction that our lives are supposed to take as Christians. And over the course of six weeks, I'll do that. But today, I just want to start with the Great Commission. If your Bible's like mine, you've actually got a little kind of black title above verse 16 or maybe above verse 18 that says the Great Commission. This, this was Jesus' instruction this was Jesus' direction. This was Jesus' commission to these 11 guys as to how they were going to impact the world. And in these four verses, verses 16 through 20, we see some key words 
that really give us some key thoughts to set the tone of this series spiritually. So if you have your Bible, I want you to look at three words with me that give us three key thoughts that I believe are really going to direct our hearts together spiritually. In verse 16, I want you to look at the first word. It's then, and I want you to circle that word. And here's what you need to know. Then was not then. Then was not then. In the, in the chronology of Matthew chapter 28, it basically says Jesus rose from the grave and then. Then is not then. You say, well, when is then? Well, then's not then. I mean, it is a, it is a time, but it's not then. It's not right there in Scripture because then is 40 days after Jesus rose from the grave. Matthew left out nearly six weeks in the life of Jesus between Jesus raising from the dead and Jesus raising to heaven. And I want to be honest with you, I'm angry about it. I'm mad at Matthew. Because I, th- I think one reason our church ministers so well to people who aren't Christians yet, one reason that our church has such a heart for people who have not decided to follow Jesus yet is because I think like a lot of them. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic at heart, unfortunately. It's just in my DNA. There are lots of times where I'll read something in the Bible and I love Jesus and I believe the Bible and if the Bible tells me to do something, I'll do it. I believe it's God's word. I believe it holds the secrets for how to follow God. I trust it implicitly and there's times I'll read something in the Bible and I'll laugh and say, that, that can't be true. Like that's my first reaction. That's crazy. You're telling me a whale really swallowed a guy and then spit him out? Come on. You know, I, like, like I, I have a skeptical mind that has to continue to be trained by faith. And one of my greatest frustrations for Jesus' disciples is that nobody wrote a book about the 40 days that he lived between raising from the dead and raising to heaven. Like, to me, that's a very important time period for those of us coming later. It's like, oh, he raised from the dead, and then he lived 40 days, and then he went to heaven. Well, what did he do? Well, we can't tell you. It's like, well, how do we know that he did? Like, I mean, that's a long time, 40 days. That's a month and 10 days. And, you know, in kind of a leap month, that's a month and 11 days. Like, like that's, a long, that's a long time. Surely... Surely you got to give me more than then. I mean, come on, Matthew. 40 days and you skip it? But the Bible doesn't really skip over it. I mean, between verses 15 and 16, Matthew got like his, his fast forward stuck on the DVR. Have you ever been doing that where like you're trying to fast forward through the commercial and then like half the show is over? Like Matthew skipped a bunch here. But the Bible doesn't skip all these things. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter 24 tells us what happened on one of these days that Jesus talked to Mary Magdalene outside the tomb. Later it says he spent an entire afternoon with two men walking seven miles from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And it tells us exactly what he talked about and what he ate during that day. In John chapter 20, it said Jesus spent a day with his disciples in Jerusalem. And then later in that chapter, a week later, it says he spent another day with his disciples and Thomas in Jerusalem. In John 21, it says they hung out for a few days in Galilee fishing and having breakfast together. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says there was one day that Jesus had church and 500 people showed up and over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Jesus. Paul told us that he spent a day with his brother James and was like, dude, I'm real. I'm really alive. And James became the leader in the early church. Paul said he came to me in a vision. In Acts 1, we see Jesus hanging out with all the disciples in Jerusalem. And in Matthew 28, we see him standing here in Galilee together. So there are at least 10 specific events between Jesus raising from the dead and raising to heaven, but I would, I would prefer a hundred. You know, I don't know about you. I'm just being honest. It's like, that's nice. What about the other 30 days, right? Like some of you are that person. You stalk people on Facebook, and after they haven't posted something for two or three days, you stalk their spouse or their kids or their friends. Like, you're like me. You want to know a little more what's going on in the life of people. And this could have been, this thought of these 40 days, This thought of anyone reading this in the early church, this could have been a deal breaker. This probably should have been a deal breaker. For many reading this, there's just 
There's not enough information for me to lean into here, Matthew. And unfortunately, those that doubt often delay living for Jesus. They let their doubt delay them into living for Jesus with full trust, even though they don't know all the answers. And some of us today, when I talk to you about falling into people, living for Jesus, telling people about Jesus, some of you are not ready because you have doubts. And you, you love Jesus. And, and you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and you've tr- you're trying to follow Jesus. But you don't have a comfort level intellectually. You don't have a comfort level emotionally. There's still doubts, and you're thinking, you know, one day when I've got it all figured out, then I'll be ready to go impact other people. But that was not the case with these disciples. Unfortunately, with these disciples, even after 40 days with a resurrected Jesus, some of the disciples doubted. It's one of my favorite verses in Matthew 28. The honesty of Scripture in talking about these guys who were here with Jesus. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That was me. If I would have been in that crowd, that would have been me. And I don't, I don't know what this looked like. I don't know what this sounded like. I mean, this had to be sort of awkward, right? I mean, the music's playing. They're all worshiping. And they're looking at Jesus. And I mean, they've, they've been with him when he showed Thomas his, you know, the holes in his hands and his feet and in his side. And they're worshiping and they're praising God together. And one, one unnamed disciple, or maybe two unnamed disciples, or maybe there's a little pack of three. They're like, I don't know, man. I think he just looks different. And then I can imagine somebody a row in front of them turn around and say, well, shut, well he died. Shut up. Like, he, you know, he does look different. And it's like, like in this worship service, there's people saying, ah, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know. And there's a lot of us that because we can't get past the, man, I'm just not totally sure of everything. I don't know every answer. We don't fall into people spiritually. In John 20, verse 30, it says, Jesus performed many other Signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. I'm, I'm going to show that verse to John when I get to heaven and say, why? Like, what kept you from, I, I could have used those. I think it would have strengthened my faith. In John 21, 25, John says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not even have room for the books that would be written. Well, I suppose, John, if you cared about me a little more, you would at least put half of them down. Like, like I needed just a little more information sometimes. But here's the fact of the matter when it comes to making disciples and having spiritual impact on people. Doubt does not disqualify you from making disciples for Jesus. And I don't want you to delay living for God just because you have spiritual doubts that have not been answered yet. Let me give you a little bit of an example. Two weeks ago, I went to have my oil changed in my truck. And those of you who know me well, I'm not really a car guy. I wish I was a car guy. I, you know, I wish I could take my engine apart and put my engine back together. But I'm really not. You know, I, 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 you know, my level of car experience is kind of fill it up with gas, put the gas pump back. That's about it. I mean, everything else I have someone to do. So I walked into this place, driving a truck my dad gave me. So I haven't, you know, it hasn't been at the dealership yet. And I walked in and told the guy behind the counter, I said, I need the oil change. He said, great, what kind of truck you got? I told him what kind of truck I got. And he said, how big is the engine? And I looked at him and I said, oh, he's probably like that, but... <laughs> He looked at me like I was the stupidest person he'd ever seen in his life. I mean, honestly, he really looked down on me. And he looked at me and he said, is it four or six cylinders? And I looked at him and I said, probably. <laughs> like, like was, that, was that either or? Like, I don't know. I was like, man, like, here, here's what I know. I've got a debit card. It has my picture on it and a number. I'm going to give this to you. You open it up, fix it. I'll pay you for that and I'll drive it home. Now, what if he would have said to me, listen, until you understand this truck a little bit better, you shouldn't be driving it. You just need to park it. 
That's what some Christians have done with their faith. Till I understand my faith a little bit better, I'm just going to kind of leave it in the garage. And when I understand every... What if, what if you... What if everything in life were that way? I mean, what if, what if you went to offer someone your favorite ice cream? You're like, man, like my favorite ice cream in the world is pralines and creams from, from Baskin Robbins. I love that. I had somebody say, well, what's in it? It's like, I don't know. Pralines and cream, I guess. Like, I, you know, I have no idea. What if you wouldn't eat your favorite ice cream until you knew what was in it? What if, what if, you, wouldn't, what if you wouldn't eat food until you knew everything that went into the recipe? Like there are a lot of us, we say, well, until I know everything about Jesus, I'm just not all in. That's not how it works in every other area of life. So doubt doesn't disqualify you for living from Jesus. The truth is you don't have to know everything about Jesus to make disciples, to help people know who Jesus is. But you have to know something. You have to know what he's done for you. You don't have to know everything there is to know about Jesus. All you have to do is you have to be able to tell people what he's done for you. And sometimes this won't be enough for everyone, but it's where we have to start. You see, when we live our life through, through the lens of the gospel, and here's what I mean by that. You've heard people mention rose-colored glasses. When we see everything through the lens of what Jesus has done in history and what Jesus is trying to do for our life, like gospel lens living is not knowing everything about Jesus. Here's what gospel lens living is. It's having confidence spiritually in what I know. Here's what's happened to me. It's having belief in what I can learn. Hey, here's what's happened to me, and here's what the Bible says. And then it's having faith in the spiritual things that my experiences and my knowledge point towards. Listen, as, as one of the pastors at this church, I can't answer every spiritual question you have. I can't. I can point you where the Bible points you, but I've not been there. I've not experienced everything there is to experience spiritually. But I can say, here's what's happened to me. Here's what the Bible says. And when I look at what's happened to me and what the Bible says should be happening in me, I can know that my life is supposed to move in this direction. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance about what we don't see. So faith isn't knowing everything. Faith has a little, late, a little doubt laced in it. But faith says, I'm going to believe despite of my doubt. Literally, your spiritual battle becomes this war between your doubt and your no doubt. Your spiritual battle becomes, I don't know this, but I, but I do know this. I do know what's happened to me. So you've got this no doubt and you've got this doubt. And, and, and I tell people, you know what my no doubt says to my doubt? Don't speak. Right? Now, those of you, those of you who grew up in the age that I did, you get that. Right? And my no doubt sounds like Gwen, Gwen Stefani. And my, you know, my faith rises up and it's like, just don't speak. So I know what you're saying, but it's not true. Just trust Jesus. So those of you who are older, it's okay. You have, have your kids tell you about it later. But your doubt... Your, your no doubt has to tell your doubt to shut up. When you said, I know Jesus has done this in me, but what about this? Your, your experience has to say, don't know about that, but you got to shut up. I'm not going to doubt Jesus because of the things that I don't know. The reality is if Jesus has done anything for you, you have to grab hold of it and move forward. I mean, if Jesus has done one thing for you, you have to grab hold of it and you have to move forward. Now, here's another interesting two words in this section. In verse 18, Jesus came to them and he said, all authority, circle those words, all authority, or underline them or highlight them or write them down on your sermon notes, all authority. Jesus was basically saying, I can choose to reach people any way that I want to. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and on earth. Jesus said, God has given me permission to impact the world however I want to. It's up to me. And then he would tell us how he was going to do it. Now, Jesus did not choose 
You know, I don't think there was a conference in heaven where Jesus said, okay, I'm in charge of this, but what do you all think? And Jesus said, I've got this great plan to reach athletes and people who love sports. I'm going to create this kid named Tim Tebow, and I'm going to make sure he plays on a good team, and I'm going to have him write verses on his eye black, and that's going to be my plan for reaching people. I mean, that's, I'm sure that reached some people, but that wasn't Jesus' idea. I don't think Jesus had a day where they said, how are we going to reach all the rednecks? Jesus said, I got an idea. There's a bunch of rednecks in Monroe, Louisiana. They got these big old beards and they blow duck calls. And they got a weird uncle named Sif. We put them on TV. And a lot of people watch them. And then people investigate them further. They, they can talk about the faith that they I, You know, again, might have worked for some. That really wasn't Jesus' plan. I don't think Jesus said there's this young guy in North Carolina named Billy Graham. Speaks really well. High character. I think we could use him to reach millions of... Now, Jesus did it. But this was not his plan. Jesus said, I could choose to do this however I want to do it. That's what he's telling his disciples. It's all up to me. And here's my plan. I'm going to choose individuals to impact individuals. Jesus could have created billboards. Jesus could have created sound. Jesus could have created the internet if Al Gore wouldn't have beat him to it. Like, like Jesus could have done like whatever he wanted to do, right? I mean, Jesus said, I, I can choose to impact people any way that I want to impact people. Here's my idea. Individuals are going to impact individuals. And here's how it's going to happen. Number three, in verse 19, Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples. This was Jesus' idea for reaching the world, that every individual, every individual, not just the Tim Tebow's, not just the Billy Graham's, not just the preachers, not just the small group leaders, not just the student leaders or the Sunday school teachers, that every individual would go and help people learn about Jesus. Now, here's the reality. Most Christians say no to go. They say no to go. Somebody else is going to have to do that. Why? Too busy? Too uncomfortable? Don't, don't really like to talk to people about spiritual things? I don't know enough. If I had more answers, I might, but I don't want to look stupid. I have doubts personally, you know, and until I don't have any doubts, I, I don't know how I can talk to anyone else about their faith. Maybe you're waiting on Jesus to do more for me. You know, when, when Jesus comes along and he does this for me, Maybe then I'll do that for him, but I need Jesus to do a little more in my life first. But I think most Christians say no to go because they misunderstand the word. I mean, in reality, I think most of us, we're just, we're just too busy. It's like, yeah, one day I'll do that. But we say no to go because go is inconvenient. But go, go is not the best word for this. Jesus did not speak the word go in the English language, and Matthew did not write this in the English language. It was in the Greek language. And the best translation for what Jesus said was not go, but the best translation was as you are going. And this really changes the entire story. It changes the entire commission. Because here, let me give you this example. So yesterday, college football started. And I love college football. Love NFL football, but I'm pretty busy on Sunday. So college football is when I sit and relax. And through the course of the fall, I'll do, I think I've got three or four weddings I've got to be a part of this fall. My son will play three or four baseball games on Saturday. So I, I may have four or five Saturdays that I can do what I want to do. And what I want to do on a Saturday is I want to get up at 9 a.m. and I want to watch college football game day. And I, and I literally don't want to move from the couch. I want Danielle to bring me breakfast, lunch, and dinner right there in that spot. And then I want to go to bed during a commercial of the game I'm watching to the game that I can fall asleep to. And I, I just want to watch football nonstop. That may make me a horrible person to you, but you don't have to deal with it because that, that, that's how... That's how I roll. Um, now, if Danielle on one of those days would, would yell down the stairs to me, Christian, yeah, 
I need you to go to the store and get some milk. Like, we, we'd probably get into it. You know, for her to disrespect that time like that by asking me to go do something, we'd struggle in that moment. Because I'm doing something, and I'm not going to stop what I'm doing to go do something else that I don't see highly important. That's, that's what the word go looks like. Leave what you're doing and go do something else. And most of us say spiritually, I can't do that. don't have time for that. don't want to do that. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, as you're going. Here's how that correct story would play out. If on Friday afternoon I was going to the grocery store to get ready for my day and to get all the drinks I was going to drink and the chips that I was going to eat and the queso and whatever I was going to get. If on Friday I was going to the grocery store to stock up for Saturday and if on the way to the grocery store Danielle called me and said, hey, since you're going to the grocery store and we need milk, since you're going to be there anyway doing something, will you grab it and bring it home? That would be an easy yes. I'm already there. It's actually where I'm headed. It's what I'm going to do. That's not a problem. This is the word go for Jesus. Jesus said, basically, since you already leave your house every day, and since you're already around people, and since, you're already, since you already talk to your neighbor, like, I just want you to take your everyday life, and I want you to factor me into that. I don't want, I don't want you to add anything I don't want you to have to do anything special. I don't want you to have to go any place out of your way. Since you're going to be around people in the world every day anyway, can you impact them for me? It's a totally different call. It's basically making Jesus a bigger part of your life and a bigger part of your focus daily. And Jesus said, I want you to help me make disciples. Now, making disciples is helping people know who Jesus is and follow Jesus. But disciple is not just a spiritual word. The word disciple literally means a follower or a student of a teacher. So a disciple can be a disciple of anything. A disciple is someone who learns anything from anyone. And we see this process that the church is called discipleship. We have classes, we have programs for this. There's this thought that the church and the people should be involved in discipleship. The discipleship is the process of helping people know Jesus and follow Jesus. But I was awakened to reality this spring that I'd never really thought about. Because up to this spring, if you were to ask me, Christian, how does discipleship work? I would say, well, someone becomes a Christian. And then after they become a Christian, they start learning about who Jesus really is and how to follow him. And I had a group of global leaders come together with a bunch of church planners. And they said, y'all are wrong. Discipleship does not begin when someone becomes a Christian. As a matter of fact, discipleship, what... what what they viewed as an outsider's perspective of discipleship. If discipleship is just helping people know something they don't know, an outsider's perspective of discipleship is any learned or perceived truth about Jesus, whether correct or incorrect, accurate or heretical, in context or out of context for someone who doesn't know anything about Jesus. Discipleship is anything anyone has ever heard about Jesus that helps them understand him, whether they understand him correctly or incorrectly. And I think one reason more people don't want to follow Jesus is they they don't like the Jesus they've met. And I think, unfortunately, they've met the wrong Jesus. You you have people, there's a Jesus in the world who's a Jesus who will love you once you change and start going to church. But that's that's not the Jesus in the Bible. There's a Jesus in the world who loves everyone regardless of who they are, how they are. No one has to change anything. They can, because Jesus just loves everyone. 
But that's not, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. There's a Jesus out there who's a Republican, but that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And there's a Jesus out there who's a Democrat, but that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And we have all these people who have all these not only views, but lifestyles that say, oh, I represent Jesus. And people are saying as they learn, so that if that's how Jesus is, I don't know that I like him. Mahatma Gandhi, one of the greatest thinkers to ever live, one of his most famous quotes was, show me a Christian who acts like Jesus and I'll become one. See, we're giving the world a bad perspective of who Jesus is. And the reality is that every Christian is involved every day in helping people learn something about Jesus and about following Jesus. This is great news and this is bad news. If you're doing it well, it's great news. You're helping people every day learn a little bit about Jesus. If you're doing it poorly... It's terrible news because you're helping people every day learn a little something about Jesus. And as we read through scripture, we see that basically the light, that, that discipleship begins at birth. This process of beginning to understand who God is and his plan for your life begins at birth and it ends at death. And the Bible says that the goal of God is that all of us would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus by the time that we die. And that's our eternal state. We're going to be like Jesus. But there's these processes within our life that help us understand Jesus. I see three distinct times where we learn about Jesus. There's this pre-Christian period in the life of everyone where they're taking in things about Jesus. And some of those things we would call light. They, they make Jesus look very attractive. And they point people towards salvation. And then there's some people learning some things about Jesus that are very dark. And they're keeping people from salvation. If we were just to do a survey and said, man, would you, if Jesus were your boss... Would Jesus cuss out his employees when he's mad at them? There are some bosses in this room. Some of your employees would say yes. Some of your employees would say no. There are some people in this room that if we said, hey, do, um, would Jesus, if Jesus came and ate at your restaurant, would he give you the biggest tip of the day and be kind to you regardless of how everything turned out? And there are some servers in our church, regardless of what type of Christian they serve, that said, yes, Jesus would be the very best person in the world to wait on and know I would never want to wait on or serve Jesus. He's so cheap and mean. There are some people in here that if we said, man, would, would Jesus be a parent who's real sensitive and loving with his child? Or would Jesus be this disciplinarian who just beats the tar out of their kids and tries to force righteousness? And there would be some people, oh, Jesus is this way, Jesus is this way. And we got a world who doesn't know who Jesus is. Because we have Christians presenting less than who Jesus is. It's why in six weeks I'm going to begin a series after this one on October 12th called Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? And I'm going to walk through who Jesus said he was. Seven times in the Bible Jesus said, I am this. And I'm going to tell you who Jesus said he was in case for some reason you're getting it wrong because you're getting it wrong for everyone you influence in life. And sometimes the pre-Christian stage of life leads to the power of salvation life where they say, man, if this is who Jesus is, I want him in my life and it changes their life forever. And then after you become a Christian, you should step into this post-Christian life where you're growing and you're loving and you're serving. It's why we shaped our church for Sunday mornings. We want you to come and grow spiritually. And then small groups, we want you to learn how to love people spiritually. And then serving, we, we want you to volunteer so that you can serve people. Because Jesus idea of making disciples from his lips to the heart and head of every Christian is this. As a Christian, making disciples isn't just a part of your life, it's the purpose of your life. Making disciples is not a class you take once you've been in church two or three years. Making disciples is not a class you go to after you've been in church two or three years. 
Making disciples is not a program that you have to go through before you're allowed to get baptized. Making disciples, teaching people who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him, that as a Christian becomes the very purpose of your life. That everyone who ever sees you or interacts with you would learn a little bit about who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. And what's crazy is how simple Jesus' process for impacting the world is. If you just read through Matthew 28, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, Jesus' idea for making disciples is pretty simple. In verse 18, Jesus says, listen, you're going to be with all these people every day. In verse 20, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you every day. So Jesus said, Let's, here's, here's, here's my idea. What a great idea, Jesus. Since you're going to be with them, and since I'm going to be with you, you should just introduce us. This is how simple Jesus' plan is for reaching our neighbors, the parents on our kids' sports teams, the people we work with, the people who go to school, where our kids go to school, or that we work for, or people who work for us. Jesus said, here's the thought. Since you're with them every day, and I'm with you every day, it would almost be awkward if you didn't introduce us to each other. So last Saturday, we had a small group of women from our church who were at Women of Faith downtown. We have a guy in our church who somehow has formed a relationship with Matthew West. He's a Christian artist who sings on the radio. He's one of my favorite. And he called me up and he said, Christian, um, hey, I'm going to go down and listen to Matthew sing. I'm going to take my son. Do you and your son want to come with us? And I told him, I said, I don't think there's any men there. He said, oh, that's all right. Well, let's go. So we were like, it's like 7,000 women in us. It was very scary, to be honest. We were just walking around. Every, you know, they were all looking at me like you were the wrong gender. I mean, it was, it was very awkward. But we listened to Matthew West do a set. Um, and then after the set, Danielle and some of the ladies who were there from our church came up to where we were sitting. And Matthew and his wife came up. And they talked to us for like 15 or 20 minutes because they, like they're family friends. And the guy I was with introduced me to Matthew. And for like 10 or 15 minutes, there were three or four of us who were just talking to him about what, you know, what his next tour was, what his next album was, how he gets ideas for his songs, just kind of talking to this guy. And without recognizing it, I talked to him for 15 or 20 minutes with Danielle standing next to me the entire time. And then he had to leave to go sign books and CDs and all that stuff. And when he left, Danielle kind of yanked my arm and she said, why didn't you introduce me to him? And I said, I thought that I did. And she was like, no, you, like, I was right here the whole time. And you were talking to him the whole time. And you, like, you never stepped back and introduced, why didn't you introduce me to him? I'm telling you, man, I started putting together this message and I thought, how many people one day are going to get to heaven? And Jesus is going to tug on their sleeve and say, why didn't you introduce me to your friends? Like every day when you were with them, like I was, I was right here beside you, just, I was just waiting. Like every day you were with them, I was with you. I was like this third wheel, I was just waiting. How come you never introduced us? And Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to be with them. I'm going to be with you. Won't you like step back and say, hey, have you met my friend yet? And if we can get to the place where we see impacting people for Jesus, not as holding a sign or knocking on doors or, or going and challenging someone with eternity, but if we just see it as, man, all these people are in my life, and every day I'm with them, and every day Jesus is with me, and if I would just work to try to introduce them to each other, many could radically change their life forever. And don't make your friends call you at the end of their life, and they won't, but if they spiritually could, I think they would, and say, man, 
Are you telling me every day Jesus was with you and you never told me about it? You never introduced me? Why would you do that? we got to get focused and intentional on helping people in our life know who Jesus is. You see, in Jesus' church, everybody is important. In Jesus' church, everyone serves each other. In Jesus' church, everyone ministers to one another. And in Jesus' church, everybody makes disciples. Everybody sees it as their role to help introduce the people in their life to who Jesus is. Not all of them will say yes. You know, we can't force people down. But if people have the right spiritual temperature and we will fall into them spiritually like dominoes, they will fall and the kingdom of God will just keep expanding. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to give you one of the most practical tools and outlines that I have ever seen in my life. And I've just, they've just come to me in the last six weeks. A pastor taught me one of them and another pastor gave me one of them. They said, Christian, if you really want to help your church understand how to reach people like Jesus did, you have to do these things. So I'm going to give you the most practical way on planet earth to take one person in your life and over the course of a year, line yourself up next to them so that spiritually you can fall into them. Who knows what decision they'll make? But if we would get real intentional every day about thinking, I'm with them, he's with me, at some point I should probably introduce these people. I think the work Jesus could do in the lives of our people, in the life of our community, and globally through the people of this church, would um, it be exponential. But we've all got to lean into the truth together. And I want to challenge you to do that with me for the next six weeks. Let's pray.